0: in pursuit of happiness. What is happiness and is it something that we need to pursue? Two of the questions we'll be looking at in this episode of the Change Wizard podcast. is the meaning and the purpose of life the whole aim and end of human existence happiness depends upon ourselves aristotle Our so if happiness is a thing that we aim for and in the end the thing that is dependent upon ourselves just what is it this thing called happiness happiness and the pursuit of happiness is an integral part of the U.S. Declaration of Independence, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But is happiness a thing to be pursued? One could read this trinity of aspirations as things to be recognised or celebrated rather than being chased. Uh, For me, the idea of pursuit suggests something like a hunt or a chase for that which is elusive. Is happiness purely a subjective experience? Well, what brings one person happiness may not be the same as what brings another person happiness. In psychological terms, happiness is described as a positive affect, a mood or emotional state which is brought about by generally positive thoughts and feelings. In contrast, low moods and negativity can be described as a negative affect, which leads to individuals taking a pessimistic view of their achievements, their life, their situations, and their future prospects. What that Greek guy, Aristotle, has said has led to the idea of happiness being usefully thought of as consisting of at least two aspects. Hedonia, pleasure, and Eudaimonia, a life well lived. He also suggested that there were four levels of happiness, a kind of happiness hierarchy. Latus happiness from material objects and sensual gratification. Felix, which is about ego gratification, being happy from the relative comparisons we make between ourselves and others. Butudio, The happiness for doing good things for others and making the world a better place. Perhaps some will call this love. And finally, ultimate perfect happiness, which involves a search for fullness and perfection. It starts from finding a balance between the other levels. To some, this kind of happiness is about connecting to a larger universe, a kind of transcendence or awakening or realization, spiritual or otherwise. Trying to escape from the circular ideas that happiness is a purely subjective experience is not easy, especially when we move beyond Aristotle's nominal first two levels of happiness. Hedonia, which can be considered as material and ego-inspired happiness, has proven easier to study from a neurological perspective, since the pleasure centres of the brain and the endorphins, the dopamine, the serotonin and oxytocins can be mapped. The the so-called higher forms of happiness have proven a little more elusive, mainly because they are difficult to define and quantify. The World Happiness Report, a yearly report attempting to define the relative happiness of peoples in different countries, was first published in 2012. Obviously, its authors were fairly confident in identifying some form of happiness metric. They used the following six indicators. GDP per capita, healthy life expectancy, available social support, the degree of freedom to make choices about one's own life, generosity in society, and the absence of corruption. Now, if this kind of report interests you, then you can read the 29 report at worldhappiness.report. However, according to this report, the top 10 happiest countries are Finland, Denmark, Norway, Iceland, Netherlands, Switzerland, Sweden, New Zealand, Canada and Austria, whilst the least happiest or perhaps the saddest countries were South Sudan, Central African Republic, Afghanistan, Tanzania, Rwanda, Yemen, Malawi, Syria, Botswana and Haiti. As interesting as these results may be, we have to take care. If happiness is difficult to define on an individual level, it is so much more complex when it comes to national definitions and cultural perceptions of what this thing, called happiness, actually is. So, back to the individual. In an article entitled The Neuroscience of Happiness, the authors identified four elements or constituents of happiness and well-being. Staying happy, that's being able to sustain positive emotions. fMRI scans indicates that the length of the positive response directly relates to the levels of well-being and happiness reported by the individual. So if you sustain the positive emotions, you actually feel happier for longer, and it goes beyond that moment. Another constituent was resilience. How quickly people were able to bounce back when sad things happened. As we know from other studies, resilience is related to mindset, emotional intelligence, and social connectivity. Social bonds. Already seen as an important factor in terms of resilience, the quality of our social relationships are associated with better health, well-being and life expectancy. The sharing of feelings and the importance of empathy can result in a desire to improve things, one of Aristotle's higher levels of happiness. Wandering Minds Hmm. Reported in an earlier study by Killingsworth and Gilbert in 2000, it was suggested that people who experienced a lack of mental focus or clarity also reported more unhappiness than when they were able to focus on an activity. Hence, mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness was highlighted as being beneficial in terms of being happy. Um, Now, these four different uh, constituents of happiness come from Richard Davidson in Chapter 5 of the World Happiness Report from 2015. If we take these indicators at face value, then something becomes immediately apparent. They can all be improved through self-reflection, personal development and practice. Even aspects of our neurology are open to rewiring through practice because of what is known as plasticity. Neuroplasticity is also known as brain plasticity or neuroelasticity or even neural plasticity is the ability of the brain to change continuously through an individual's life. For example, brain activity associated with a given function can be transferred to a different location. The proportion of grey matter can change and synapses may strengthen or weaken over time. So we can retrain our brains. Let's have a bit of a chat about positive psychology. Psychologists have been interested in happiness for several decades. The term positive psychology was first used by Abraham Maslow in the 1950s. And even further back, the New Thought movement, which included the father of psychology, William James, were asking questions about happiness and contentment. Positive psychology, the air quotes there, seemed to have formally started as a new area of psychology in 1998, when Martin Siegelman took it as a theme for the American Psychological Association during his presidential year. In the first sentence of his book, Authentic Happiness, Siegelman wrote, For the last half century, psychology has been consumed with a single topic, mental illness, and noted that psychologists needed to expand upon Maslow's ideas and make the nurturing of talent and improving normal life a mission for their profession. Now, from the various studies published by the Positive Psychology Movement, the following personality traits seem to be common amongst happy people. So let's have a look at these traits and see how many of these that uh, you can identify with. Self-discipline. Having the strength and willpower to overcome your initial urges using self-control to achieve long-term goals. I suppose that's uh, the idea of delayed gratification. Reliability. When you commit to something, your community can expect you to do it, so strengthening respect and social bonds. Lovingness. As supported through supportive, caring words and acts linked to a desire not to hold grudges. Politeness. In terms of manners, courtesies and thoughtful actions. Generosity. Giving of your time and space to others with the desire to support their well-being. Authenticity, being true to yourself and others around you. Fairness, understanding of the need for rules and regulations and accepting them. Uh, The best way to keep your integrity is to remain fair at all times, no matter what the consequences may bring. Humility, there are moments when it is better to lower your own sense of self importance. You are not too good for anything or better than any other people. Respectfulness, Respecting others, even if you don't agree with them, but still remaining authentic so that you can agree to disagree. Honesty, being straightforward and, when required, respectfully frank. Conscientiousness, the tasks you undertake requires respect and attention. Your efforts are consistent. Optimism, being hopeful, looking forward to a future that you can improve with your actions of today. Kindness. Motivated by the need to help others not to benefit yourself. Perseverance. The determination to see even the toughest situations out to their end, no matter how uncomfortable they make you feel. Courage. We all have our own fears. True courage is about continuing on in spite of them. Forgiveness. Letting bygones be bygones. Grudges are a thing of the past, and old angers and negativity fade away over time. You aren't afraid to be the bigger person and forgive those who have wronged or hurt you. Compassion. You could call this empathy, which may bring a desire to do whatever you can to help relieve others' suffering. Responsibility. Having a clear mind and always following through on your commitments. Loyalty. You're always by the side of those you love. You are a loyal friend, companion and partner. You will never turn your back on those who have earned your trust integrity have a desire and ability to maintain your moral principles the rules that you live your life by making every decision with your core values in mind so as you listen to this list you may well have started to score yourself on each of those attributes Uh, you may also have felt that there were in a sense some unnecessary duplications Siegelman and Peterson in 2004 produced a Character, Strengths and Virtues Handbook, which they suggested would help provide insights into approaches that could increase personal happiness. They listed six virtues and 24 strengths. I'll just go through them quickly. Wisdom and Knowledge. Creativity, Curiosity, Open-mindedness, A Love of Learning, Perspective and Innovation. Courage, bravery, persistence, integrity, vitality, and zest. Humanity, love, kindness, social intelligence. Justice, citizenship, fairness, and leadership. Temperance, forgiveness, and mercy. Humility, prudence, and self-control. And transcendence, an appreciation of beauty, excellence, gratitude, hope, humor, and spirituality. All in all, a much neater organisation of ideas than the first, perhaps meandering, lists. What is important in these lists is that they can suggest areas in our own lives where we could look to develop or improve. Now, I don't believe it's necessary to tackle these lists as a kind of uh, rigid curriculum, but more of a source for personal reflection where we can identify some of these things that get in our way and examine them as and when we choose. What about your ability to reframe negative experiences? There's a kind of formal phrase there. Um, reframing of negative experiences is one of the attributes I feel needs further exploration. The others we've listed are fairly self-explanatory. But choosing the way we look at a situation changes the way the situation looks. This statement is based on a Wayne Dyer quote and is one that I hold to be a fundamental truth. Perception is not a passive process, it's an active one. So as we discussed in episode 2 of this podcast series, our mindset or beliefs can act as a filter for our perceptions. We see the patterns we expect to see. Actively looking at things from a different frame of reference encourages us to see things differently. The most obvious frames of reference for us people would be to ask ourselves what would be different if we saw the situation from the other person's point of view or from an outsider's perspective the first of these reframes means that we have to imagine or perhaps hallucinate what the other person's perspective beliefs and attitudes might be we could consider if there was any kind of backstory that that brought them to the situation For example, someone is rude to you in a shopping mall. They push past you and almost knock you over. Well, okay, this person may be a naturally aggressive person, a rude and inconsiderate so-and-so. That's perfectly possible. However, they may just have had some really bad news and were rushing to get home. They may be feeling sick themselves and needed to just get some air. Now, whilst none of these reframes may be true, they're at least creating a context in which you can reflect upon your own sense of hurt and injustice. Remember, this is not about excusing antisocial behaviour, but about stopping you from loading more emotion onto it than you need. The meaning of anything relies upon what we attach to it. So in the case of the rude person in the shopping mall, you are offended by their apparent attitudes towards you, If you care about such behaviour from someone who doesn't know you, then what's that really telling you about you? Now, the other personal reframe is to imagine what a neutral onlooker, someone outside of the situation, would observe. They would notice someone rushing, and because of their haste, they bumped into another person. They would not be drawn necessarily to make any kind of judgment, and would possibly react by making sure you, the person who's bumped into, was uninjured. When we look at things only from our perspective, all of our history, beliefs, judgments and values are placed upon it. That's worth thinking about because we then can seem to take everything personally and it may not be intended to be so. Another interesting reframe is to do with time. The question to ask yourself of some situations is how long it might take you to feel differently about it. In the shopping mall incident above, you may feel offended in the moment, but how long before that incident fades into some kind of anecdote or even amusing story to share? The intensity of the perceived slight is therefore transformed. This too will pass is a sentiment attributed to numerous sources from a 10th century Anglo-Saxon poem to Abraham Lincoln, but is one that is very true of every human situation. Now, this is no way intended to suggest that we should immediately forget or trivialize the way others have treated us. But it's very much about how continually thinking about them creates negativity within ourselves, possibly even long after the perpetrator has forgotten about it and got on with their lives. Put it another way, by holding on to the negative impact somebody has had on your own life, you are giving away your power. The past can't be changed, but the way you relate to it can. Again, this is not about trivializing or diminishing the pain or suffering of any event, but about finding ways to personally recover from it. Remember, the theme of this week is about the pursuit of happiness, and that means we're exploring ways of transforming sadness. In some ways, our happiness is defined by a lack of sadness. Linking back to episode one, we made the point about seeking to change those things that were in our control and having the strength to deal with those things that are not within our control. Worry only of what you can control is the message here. We're going to have worries and problems every day of our lives, perhaps. Some of those things we cannot control. If we worry about those things, we delete from our everyday experience the things that we can take control of and that can make us happy. The ancient Stoic philosophers suggested that one of the choices we need to make is whether we focus on the internal or the external. It was noted that most people seem to focus on external things, believing that it is our environment where we find satisfaction and happiness. Now the Stoics believe that satisfaction and happiness came from within, that by giving up the rewards of the external world we gain tranquility, freedom and calm. They believe that desire on its own makes us unhappy because we want something we don't yet have and that makes happiness for what is present impossible. So let's take a brief um, detour into Stoicism. Stoicism is an ancient attitude with some very modern applications. Uh, Let's start with an example. A Stoic is walking along the road and passes a group of, well, shall we say, disaffected youths who call out, Hey, you! You look like a pervert! You're also an ugly git, aren't you? Hey, we're talking to you! To which the Stoic replies, Good for you! Okay, perhaps not the best example, but it does give a sense of a Stoic attitude to life. Stoics aren't unemotional or uncaring, They just simply focus on the things that are important and not the trivial things that some some of us might get caught up in a simple way to sum up stoicism is the attitude shit happens and what matters is how you deal with it when life was difficult the stoic message was not to cheer up think positively or don't worry be happy in fact they might encourage you to think the exact opposite it wasn't about hope for a better future either hope as far as i am concerned is a simple ointment that takes away the immediacy of a difficult situation. Hope, without changing thoughts, feelings, or actions, is addictive. Stoics considered that hope was the heroine of the emotions. Like all kinds of state-changing addictions, the higher the high, the further the fall. Hope can be an empty promise unless it's used to motivate action. In the opinion of the Stoic philosophers, Negative feelings were more to do with poor judgments and expectations from a reality that was false. As Seneca said, misfortune weighs most heavily on those who expect nothing but good fortune. So when we feel let down by people, is it about them or about them not meeting our own expectations? And if so, who created those expectations? When we feel that the world hasn't given us the breaks we think we deserve, is it because the world has conspired against us or that we have been misapplying our talents? If so, do we need to look at what we have been doing? Sextius, one of the ancient Stoics, said that What ailment of yours have you cured today? What failing have you resisted? Where can you show improvement? Sextus asked this question of his students every day. Sounds a lot like what we've come to understand as gratitude journaling, doesn't it? The Stoic philosophers offer a wealth of sound advice, and when considered alongside some of the ways we have discussed to improve your levels of happiness, are well worthy of your exploration. As Marcus Aurelius said, almost nothing material is needed for a happy life for he who has understood existence. Back to happiness. Happiness does not come from what you have, but what you do. The pursuit of happiness is a misleading idea, in my opinion. It's like hunting for a piece of coal in a coal mine. Unless we are happy in the hunt, the goal is pointless. It is in action that we find happiness, by being and doing, not by expecting and searching. As the Dalai Lama says, there are two forms of happiness. The temporary pleasure derived from primarily material comfort, alone, and another from a more enduring comfort. Like the Stoics, if we reflect upon where our emotional focus is, we can better reflect upon those things that happen to us. Making others responsible for our happiness and contentment leads in the long term to disillusionment and disappointment. This does not mean that our relationships are not part of our happiness, but the focus is in the giving of love, care and compassion. Our negative thoughts and past situations cast shadows that we can become attached to. By not finding ways to let them go, we are doomed to be haunted by them. So, there's a lot there to think about. There's a lot of ideas and maybe this podcast is worth revisiting. I will also put the notes for this podcast on the blog at aweneksolutions.com A-W-E-N-E-K solutions That's where all the transcripts for these podcasts will reside. Before we finish, can I give you some practical steps you can take today to start working on improving your happiness? Now, all these ideas come from my book, The Secret to Your Future History, and they are based upon what positive psychologists and research has shown us works. So firstly, have a personal code of ethics or mission statements. Doing this sets your moral compass, helps you bring your behaviours in line with you and the you you want to be. Write this code down in your journal and revisit it from time to time. Invest in experience, not things. Retail therapy and the buying of sparkly things to make you feel better is a short-term solution. Very quickly, the sparkle fades and the sense of an investment in you becomes a regret for what you have spent. Investing in experiences with others enriches your sense of achievement of social connection and creates long lasting memories. Positive memories are the resources we can use when things become challenging. List at least three things you are grateful for every day in a gratitude journal. Not only great advice from the Stoics, but also from research of the positive psychology movement. Actually focusing on the positive, the things that you are grateful for, drip feeds your mindset and actively starts the process of shifting your experience. Learn something new every day. Feeds your creativity, your awareness of the world around you. As we explored in episode two, all of this helps change your mindset. Practice random acts of kindness. If we think about some of the happiness traits mentioned earlier, it's fairly self-evident why this should work. It's about showing care and compassion for others. It doesn't matter That these acts remain anonymous. That's all part of the process. Such acts take us away from self-centered hedonism and may create a sense of positivity when thoughts about how the kindness is accepted by others and how they may pay it forward. Reframe negative experiences. As explored earlier, shifting our perspective allows for a better understanding of our reactions to events. Practice mindfulness. Having a confused and focused approach increases our sense of personal dissatisfaction. Mindfulness is about managing thoughts and being in the present. There are other benefits to this practice too and so learning this technique is well worth your time, effort and investment. Well, that's it for this episode. Hope you found something interesting. Uh, Hope you found something of value. Hope you found something that you can reflect upon. You may like to visit awenicsolutions.com slash freebies for a free book on gratitude. And if you'd like to explore the online mindfulness course offered by Awenik Solutions, you can visit Academy. Awenik, A-W-E-N-E-K, Academy. Also, you may be interested in the free weekly self-development articles that are published on alanuk.com. Feel free to have a look get in touch if you want to but until next time kindest regards and remember happiness is not about being it's about doing happiness is within you